Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, December 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2020. I got a smile on my face. I'll tell you about it in just a second. It's disgusting, but I am going to, in the interest of full disclosure, tell you what I'm smiling at. We got week 14 predictions tonight. We did a lot of them already Tuesday night. So if you want the uh, long form, who did we do, Colin? We did Bama LSU, mercifully. We did Bama LSU, A&M Auburn. Those are already available on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. So you can check those out in individual form after the show, of course. We humbly, but we plead with you to just stay tuned until the show's over. Uh, we've got the latest out of Texas. We've got the latest out of South Carolina. There's a coaching search going on. There are rumors that a coaching search is imminent. I, I don't necessarily know how sure to be about that. We're going to dive into that, though. Don't worry. And in the Big Ten, when we last left you on Tuesday night, there was a lot of speculation, just wild in some cases, baseless speculation about what could happen. Is Ohio State going to get a game in? Is, is Ohio State going to get screwed by someone running and hiding from them? Not said on this program, mind you, but said elsewhere. And so we were left with just wondering, hey, what, what could happen here? Is, is Ohio State going to be done in by Big Ten protocols and, and bylaws that were written like three or four months ago? Well, maybe, maybe not. Got some feelings on that tonight. Also, the Ramen Noodle Express Chugging along, I lied to you the other night when I told you that we were only 58.5% against the spread. That was a lie. We are 60% against the spread. Here's the situation. Uh, my living room looks like that of a serial killer. So at home, I have an actual grease board that's in my apartment, and it has our record week by week. Sometimes I forget to put the updated record. And so we went 4-2 and two last week, and we upped our percentage to 60%. Well, I hadn't put it on there yet. And so I now have that on my serial killer grease board in my apartment. And so now we're up to date on that. Also, I want to tell you, thank you for the subscriptions. If you haven't already subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, we're getting great feedback on the show. Now, you guys are always great with your feedback. A lot of you share the show all over the place. Uh, word of mouth, we have a $0.00 advertising budget for Late Cake. So word of mouth is what we rely on. Uh, we really appreciate you doing that. And also... I just want to tell you, because you don't find out otherwise, a lot of people have taken notice. Not in the audience. A lot of people in management positions at 24-7, but CBS Sports as well, they take notice. You never know when they're watching and when they're not watching, but they realize that the traction that we've gotten is because of you guys. So I realized that too. And I just wanted to say, I appreciate that. Anytime we get good feedback, I just want to pass it right on to you because it's really feedback they're giving you whether they know it or not. So let's dive into the show tonight because we got a lot to get to. I am going to get to predictions in just a second. We're going to kind of bounce all over the place in tonight's show. But I wanted to start with what you've been talking about all day. And I just saw someone ask, okay, so let me pause. And let me tell you, a couple of minutes ago, Colin and I, we were doing sound check. And I was telling you, I was going to tell you why I was smiling when we came on air. So Colin and I, we come in here about 15 minutes before airtime and we do the sound check. And we got, you know, the earpiece right here, the IFB. I've, I've got that in my ear so I can hear Colin's sweet voice anytime he wants to talk to me, and, which he never does during the show, which is very admirable, by the way. But when he needs to communicate with me, that's how we do it. Now, sometimes when you've used the same IFB for quite a while, 
you have a very, very nuanced, advanced medical term, and I don't know if all of you are going to be able to grasp it, but um, it's called earwax. And earwax really builds up in the IFB, and sometimes it builds up to the point where it just clogs, and all of a sudden I can't hear Colin anymore. Now, as I told Colin, a normal person would, well, first off, wear multiple shirts on air. But since I don't do that, you also got to understand the part B here in that I'm not a normal person who just goes and buys a new IFB. So there is an alternative. And the alternative is take that bad boy out of your ear and just go. Let me repeat for those in the back. You got to do that. And then it removes the earwax. Doesn't take it out. It just moves it around, you know, where you open up enough of a passageway where the sound can come through. So that's what I had to do moments before we went three, two, one, you're live. And that is why I now can hear Colin in the event that he needs to talk to me. So. You asked for it in the chat, I gave it to you. That's how you clean your IFB out. You can use that at work tomorrow or in class if you're still in college. Feel free. All right, Big Ten changes could be coming. Now, I'm going to pause here. It's not necessary at the moment. We're just doing contingencies tonight. We're just doing mere hypotheticals because right now the Ohio State Buckeyes are a 23.5-point favorite against Michigan State Saturday. Ryan Day will not be the head coach in that game. He's still in quarantine. However, the Buckeyes will go into East Lansing and probably win comfortably. I mean, I I expect them to win Saturday. They are such a comfortable favorite. We're not even going to break down the game tonight. I want to break down more important matters. Back in fourth grade, I was trying to say, where can I draw a reference point? Where can I go back in time? Where's the data point? And the data point naturally for me is in the geography B in fourth grade. There was a girl, not going to use her last name, but there was a girl, first name Whitney, in Miss Holland's fourth grade class there at Sherwood Elementary School in Phoenix City, Alabama, where I was uh, enrolled, even though I was a citizen of the state of Georgia at the time, but the statute of limitations is up now. And she was a literal genius. This girl was extremely sharp. And we knew that we didn't stand much of a chance against her in the geography bee. However, we show up to school that day. We're ready to compete. We show up to school and there's no Whitney. She's nowhere to be found. And we hold the geography bee. And we think we got this because she didn't show up. So, I mean, Yours truly is in the running at that point. A bunch of my buddies are in the running. I can't even remember who won, but the point is it's irrelevant. There's a reason I don't remember. Because you know what Sherwood Elementary School did? They took Whitney and they shoot her right on into the finals anyway. She was a no-show because she was sick, yet she was so smart that they just said, listen, let's be real, idiots. We all know she would have smoked you. And so you barely know where the corner of Phoenix City, Alabama is, much less what the capital of Wyoming is. So she would have smoked you. And they were right. And so she gets pushed on into the finals. Now, in one sense, we were mad. But in the other sense, we knew they were right. So there wasn't too big a hubbub made about that. And the reason that I say that is because it could be about to go down in the Big Ten. The focus this whole time in the Big Ten and the hope, for lack of a better term, amongst fan bases like Texas A&M is maybe Ohio State's just not going to be able to get enough games in. And they're not even going to be able to qualify for their own conference title game. And that's going to be this sort of direct, indirect way that we can back our way into a playoff spot. Well, we spent a whole lot of time focusing on that. And we probably didn't spend enough time focusing on the fact that all that's written in pencil. First off, those rules themselves were just written a few months ago, very hastily, might I add, a few months ago. It's not like anyone sat around a powwow over an entire weekend and said, all right, we got to really get in depth and think about this. Someone just said, all right, what's our rules going to be? Anyone got any ideas? Well, let's make them play six games minimum. That sounds good. Anyone got a pencil? Write it down. It's our covenant. Let's go for it. And so it's written in pencil. Well, you know what you can do with the pencil? You can flip that thing upside down and you can erase whatever you wrote. And my feel 
as now we're getting closer to the edge of the cliff and you realize there is a, a very, very heavy favorite in the Big Ten to win the conference that may not get to play for the conference title. My feel now, overwhelmingly, after talking to a couple of folks, but my feel even before that is the Big Ten is not going to let Ohio State miss out on a chance to play for a conference title if the only thing that stands between Ohio State and a trip to Indianapolis is Big Ten protocol. Because really, they made the protocol, they can change the protocol. So what I'm telling you is, if they don't get, well, they're they're probably going to get this weekend's game in. If they don't get that game against Michigan in next week, and someone's telling them, nope, can't pass go, can't head to Indy, you don't have enough games under your belt, it's up to the chancellors, presidents, uh, athletic directors to just say, yeah, we kind of screwed that one up. And you guys are by 10 miles the best team in the league. We're going to let you go anyway. Now, here's the question. How does that make you feel? Because I know how I felt in fourth grade when Whitney got shoot right on into the finals. And she won, by the way. She was the smartest kid in school, so she won. Um, But how does that make you feel? Because I understand either way. You make me mad about that. Well, the rules got changed at the last minute for the golden calf here. Yeah, I understand all that sentiment. But I got to tell you, I just got to be flat out honest with you. I'm kind of ready to accept it. There's two reasons. Uh, Number one, all standards and principles and consistency have been thrown out the window a long time ago in 2020, so I'm not even going to rest on those laurels. But the second reason, well, one of many reasons, is they fought to play. Ohio State fought to play. There were a lot of folks dragging their feet hard in the Big Ten back in July and August when it looks like things are going to go off the rails and Ohio State's fighting and Penn State's fighting, Nebraska's fighting. That's why we haven't taken a pot shot at anyone up there regardless of their record because we appreciate and respect the fact that some folks actually wanted to, oh, I don't know, play football. Shame on them. Brand them on the neck. They should never be allowed in some circles that you're in again. But uh, my point is they fought for it and there may now be some issues that are or are not within the realm of their control that may keep them from being able to play for a conference championship. And my whole point is, if those are the factors that are in place, and they are, and then the other factor is, it's so blatantly obvious, there's not anyone in that conference that's holding a candle to them right now, I'm just ready to accept it. In a normal year, it's garbage, but in a normal year, this wouldn't be a conversation to begin with. There are clear number one, yeah, I'm, I, I believe if I were in the Big Ten at this point, I'd be saying the same thing. Are we really going to be the reason that that team's not going to play for a conference championship? Now, if they lose a game or if they lose games and they keep themselves out, that's a whole nother deal. So who holds the power? Because I, I know everyone wanted to you know, put a target on Kevin Warren, and it's not that we were the biggest fans of Kevin Warren back when this was initially happening. That's the conference commissioner, for those unfamiliar. But the thing's going to fall in the same set of laps that it did when we were talking about whether or whether or not we were going to have a season. And that's presidents and chancellors and athletic directors. Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin kind of intimated that change could be coming, I think, in an interview he did yesterday or day before yesterday. So you got here, here are the paths. Number one, just get the Michigan State game in and get the Michigan game in, and they'll probably win both and we'll be good. And they'll go on to the Big Ten title game, and all's well that ends well. And at that point, if they lose, they lose. If they win, they're probably in the playoff, which will create a whole separate discussion that we will get to in due time. You also could get this weekend's game in and then find out that you can't get the Michigan game in. Now, as it stands, again, uh, the very, very rigid view of that is, well, if you can't get that game in, you're not going to have enough. You can't go to Indianapolis. Well, then you have two more paths. You could either have the Big Ten step in and say, nope, you can go anyway. Or you could have the Big Ten step in and say, "Uh, we're going to allow you to schedule another game. 
find someone in the conference, find Nebraska, find whoever you want to, schedule another game, and just dial up a win, essentially. But schedule another game, get your minimum requirements met. We're going to allow it. This is our fault. This is our fault to begin with. And so you do what you need to do, and then we'll do what we need to do on our end. My point is, I highly expect Ohio State to play for a Big Ten championship one way or another. Now let's talk about games that are going to happen this weekend all across the country. Week 14 predictions, games we haven't already gotten to. Really interesting game in Knoxville Saturday. It's the 3.30 Eastern Time CBS game of the week. Florida is a 17.5 point favorite against Tennessee. Had a lot of you hitting me up in the DM saying, why isn't this number bigger? And my answer back was, why waste time asking me if it seems like such sure money? Just go bet it. Uh, By the way, this number is still available. This would be a very confusing upset. I know there have been there have been bigger point spread upsets this year already, but I mean, how would you feel if you're watching your TV and it's uh, about 6:30, 6:45, 7 o'clock, and you're watching the clock wind down, and Tennessee is uh, eking out a, a 31-28 win over Florida? Like that would be pretty crazy, not out of the realm, but it'd be pretty crazy. Two things, two 2020 hard trends that have to be bucked for that to even enter into the possibility in Saturday's uh, college football action is number one, Tennessee on third down. You can either remember their whole season in which they've been horrible. In fact, where is it at? Yeah, they've been 14th and the dead last in the SEC in third down success offensively, or you can just go back to the last game you played and that was Auburn. You could say, well, we were 60% on third down that day. Now, as it turns out, it doesn't really matter how many third downs you convert if you throw pick sixes in the red zone. So you want to avoid that. That's a whole separate trend, the uh, picks and whatnot, that I'm not even going to entertain right here. Secondly, the guy that threw that pick six against Auburn, probably not starting at quarterback. Probably going to be Harrison Bailey. Jarrett Garantano is, uh, for varying reasons, probably not your starter here. And so Harrison Bailey, you know what he needs to do for them to have a shot Saturday is He needs to have a little JT Daniels in him. He needs to come out and exceed expectation just the way JT Daniels did in that Mississippi State game for Georgia. Now, it turns out they needed every single one of those first downs and every single one of those big throws from Daniels just as Tennessee would need from Bailey Saturday night. But here's the problem. The Florida defense, while they're not exactly top three caliber all of a sudden, they are not playing as poorly as they did in the early portion of the year. Now, here's what the counter to that would be. The counter would be, yeah, but how do you know? They've only played Vandy and Kentucky as of late. That's fair. That's that's why they play the games, though. So we'll find out one way or the other if they're posers, maybe Saturday night, probably more likely down the road a little ways in Atlanta and beyond. But I just don't think Tennessee defensively has any answer for this passing attack. And for that matter, I don't think many teams do. Uh, but the difference is, you know, maybe, and this is all capitalized letters here, maybe Tennessee puts together a run game, kind of like they did against Auburn. They ran the ball very well against Auburn. It's just the turnovers deemed that irrelevant. But maybe if you do that and you shave off some Florida possessions and your pass rush was has been good at times, Tennessee's pass rush has been able to generate some pressure at times, but maybe they force some turnovers. Maybe all of a sudden it's Tennessee that's the beneficiary of the turnover margin. And then Harrison Bailey, like I said, pops a performance that exceeds your expectation level. These are so many things that would have to go right. And to be honest with you, I'm not calling them to go right. But what I think is a combination of some of that is going to happen enough to where Florida's going to win this game. Got a lot of confidence in that. But for some reason, I keep coming back to... Tennessee plus 17 and a half, just being able to sneak in that thing. And so I'm going to take Florida to win. I'm going to take the Vols to cover. That is certainly 
not me advising you to wager any actual money on that. Let's move on to Clemson. 22-point favorite on the road against Virginia Tech. It's a 7.30 Eastern kickoff on ABC. Uh, you know, this this Florida-Tennessee game and this Clemson-Virginia Tech game, when the updated schedules came out, one thing and one thing only came into my mind. I looked at the calendar, and I saw that it said, huh, December, December 5th, Blacksburg, Virginia, Knoxville, Tennessee. Turns out, weather's going to be okay. Now, the kickoff temperature for this game, this Clemson game, is going to be in the upper 30s, and the Florida-Tennessee game, upper 40s. And that's not ideal for Southern teams, but could be a lot worse. They could have been playing in Knoxville last week when there was snow all over the place. Selfishly, I was kind of hoping to see that. And so, likewise, here at Virginia Tech, it looked like maybe some precipitation in the forecast earlier in the week. Uh, At the moment, not so much. Our, Our late kick forecast has this at, you know, upper 30s, mostly clear, so oh well. Still going to be cold. Still going to be able to see each other's breath. Transitive property special. Don't talk a lot of transitive property here. When we do, it's sarcasm. But a lot of people believe in the transitive property, which means if A beat B, but B beat C, then what does that mean when C faces A? Well, let's make it a little bit more granular in detail here. Clemson, the last time you saw them, they were busy beating Pitt into an ever-loving coma. And why do I mention Pitt? Well, if you believe in the transitive property... Do you know what happened when Pitt played this Virginia Tech team? Pitt hung, where's the number, 556 total yards of offense on Virginia Tech. So you might wonder, well, why isn't it Clemson minus 42 instead of 22? Hey, to be honest, this number doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, Our model likes Clemson heavily this week. It's very simple for Brent Venables, defensive coordinator there at Clemson, uh, who has his name on the periphery of some of these coaching searches, by the way, but I'm not talking about that tonight. What I am talking about is there's this number. It's one of the most popular stats in all of Virginia Techdom right now. The number is 260. When they have surpassed the 260-yard rushing mark, they're undefeated. When they haven't surpassed it, they're winless. I got a hard time seeing them run for over 260 yards on Clemson Saturday night. Not that that would be an automatic win by any stretch, but um, I've dragged it on long enough. Clemson's going to win this game. I think they're going to win it going away. And that will set up a very uncomfortable end of the season against Virginia for Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech. They hadn't won a game in a long time. It's uh, not comfortable up there at all for him right now. That's another place I would probably lean towards expecting a change to happen. The thing about all these coaching changes is what's the market? All of a sudden, you got a bunch of these rumors. South Carolina's already done it. Texas maybe, Virginia Tech maybe. Well, uh, the question is, where are you going? Uh, you got demand. There's more demand by the day. Where's the supply? Just an interesting sidebar. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. How about Oklahoma State? They're favored by anywhere from one to two and a half points, depending on where you look. They're playing at TCU. It's an early kickoff, noon Eastern time, 11 local time there on ESPN2 Saturday. Oklahoma State is still alive. I don't know how many of you realize this. Uh, They are still alive in the Big 12 title race. Like They can still make it into that game. They need some help, but they can still make it into that game. Now, before I dive into this, I don't know. I can't remember where I saw this today. I mean, it's public information. It's, It's... Sourcing is not critical on this. Gary Patterson and Mike Gundy 
who are the respective head coaches here of TCU and Oklahoma State. In a world where we are talking about coaching changes and hot seat rumors and whatnot, do you realize the combined tenure of these head coaches at their current outposts is 35 years? Gundy has been at Oklahoma State since, I want to say, 2005. And Gary Patterson has been at Oklahoma, or at uh, TCU, rather, since 2000. So this is a long time, man. Those are by far the two longest tenured head coaches in the Big 12. Chuba Hubbard last week for Oklahoma State was announced that that he wasn't going to play. I I think he opted out, actually. Was it injury or opt out? Either way, he wasn't in. And uh, there was a lot of panic. We had Oklahoma State minus the points, and I made sure to tweet out, no, this doesn't back us off our pick at all. Of course, we have confidence in Desmond Jackson. And he validated that confidence. He ran for 235 on 36 carries. Now, they rode him pretty heavily, obviously, last week. That's like a Derrick Henry number, 36 carries for 235 yards. So what I didn't just do is compare Desmond Jackson to Derrick Henry. What I did say is he's been more than a serviceable replacement, and I would expect to see a lot more of him. Now, here's the issue, and here's why they really need to ride him. As good as their offense has been, Oklahoma State's, what they were known for early in the year, defense, has not been there as of late. Uh, they've given up points. They've given up yards. And TCU will be more than happy to cash in on that. So when you want to talk about the importance of shaving some possessions off, you run the ball and bleed some clock, shave some possessions from TCU and get yourself a win here. Our model really leans heavily towards Oklahoma State. It's one of our best bets of the week. I already handed that out. We're going to take Oklahoma State to win. We're going to take the Cowboys to cover anything under three, actually. The next game up, this is one I have very, very strong interest in, uh, potentially a vested interest before kickoff Saturday. Indiana at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a 14-point favorite. It's a mid-afternoon kickoff. It's 3.30 Eastern Saturday on ABC. I get the sense a lot of people are very drunk on two results. The first is, uh, it feels like a long time ago now. It wasn't that long ago. It was that opener. I think it was a Friday night opener for Wisconsin when they just boat raced Illinois. And then they did the exact same thing to, I mean, what used to be Michigan. It was like a shell of Michigan. And they just went and they beat on it for three and a half hours. And they were blowout wins. And it really inflated a lot of people's sense of Wisconsin. And then Northwestern held them to seven points. And they turned the ball over a ton. And all of a sudden, they looked so disjointed and out of sorts. And, well, wh- which team is the real Wisconsin? Like, that's what everyone was left asking. And now... They're 14-point favorites against Indiana. And when I say that, I think a lot of you may think I'm unaware that Michael Penix is out for the year. That's the quarterback for Indiana. And I am totally aware of that. I was just talking to Bud Elliott today, and I told him, uh, for the record, he agreed. But I told him, man, is it just me, or has the market really overcorrected for this Penix injury? He's a very good player. I mean, he certainly has been the heart and soul of their offense so far this year. But, man... They got a pretty talented backup quarterback there in Tuttle. A former four-star guy. I know a lot of people in Indiana circles have talked about it all week. I don't know that nationally it's been a big talking point. But uh, we, have, we, have made, we have a long history on this show of finding teams whose quarterbacks are out for the year and then betting on those teams the following week. Because the market almost always overcorrects. No one in their right mind ever wants to put money on a team whose quarterback just got knocked out for the year. Well, we're probably going to do it this week. I'm certainly... Uh, with all due respect to Wisconsin, I'm certainly taking the Badgers to win. I think the number's way too inflated, though. So we're going to roll pretty confidently with Indiana plus the two touchdowns. Wouldn't be surprised at all if we end up putting this out as an official play. So on a related note, you'll want to follow me on Twitter for that at Josh. 
Final game that got added about 15 minutes ago, BYU is at, uh, excuse me, Brigham Young. I can't round that Y. So Brigham Young, minus 10, at Coastal Carolina. Yes, friends, it's happening. I don't know that the equipment truck has arrived yet, probably somewhere in Arkansas, but they're on their way. Mm-mm. It's a 4.30 kickoff, ESPNU, not a long breakdown on this game. However, I'm starting to lean very heavily towards the Cougars there. Uh, they Listen, there are a lot of A-level parts, A-level components to their game. They got an A-level quarterback, probably a future first-round quarterback. A lot of you have watched him already. If you haven't watched him, I would encourage you, take some time. 4.30 game here, just carve out some time. Watch a quarter, quarter and a half. Very, very talented pieces, quarterback and otherwise, on this team. Offensive line, defensive line, they've both been phenomenal. They got a dynamite run game. There are just a lot of elements that are very hard to stop about Brigham Young. And I don't necessarily know, with all due respect to Jamie Chadwell and what he's done there at Coastal, I don't necessarily know what's happening in Myrtle Beach Saturday either. So we're going to take Brigham Young to win. We're also going to take B-blank-U to cover at the 10 points. And that concludes our added Week 14 predictions. Looking forward to this week. I mean, we had a couple of weeks ago people talking about how slow it was, and it ended up not being that way, but hadn't had that since. Like, we got a really good slate here, got really good slates coming up. Now, coming up, uh, no, not this weekend. Well, maybe this weekend. Side note, I was just thinking out loud there. Coming up at South Carolina, we still got a coaching search going on at South Carolina. Now, the very latest, things change. Things change a lot. That's why we continue to touch on this every single show. When we last spoke together, I was talking to you about, and then you were kind of talking back to me in the chat and DMs, about how you felt about Shane Beamer. Shane Beamer is current tight ends coach out at Oklahoma, and he's got strong ties to the program, got a lot of folks around the program that have been lobbying for him, very supportive of him, former players, yada, yada. We touched on that the other night. And it was thought and widely reported that he was the leader in the clubhouse for this job. Now, the other night I told you I wasn't 100% sold on that sentiment. Uh, he very well may have been perceived as the leader, but I also told you I thought Billy Napier could change that with one phone call, and I still believe that. Now, the only difference is I think the public sentiment around this coaching search has sort of shifted more towards what I was talking about the other night, and I have followed it, obviously, day by day. I've talked to a lot of folks I know, listened to a lot of folks who are very close to the South Carolina beat. I think the guys over at the Big Spur have continued to do just blowout coverage of this. I mean, every whisper, every time someone changes their parking spot, there is either an update from Tony over there, John Whittle, or, or Sherbert. So, I mean, they got it all covered from every angle. You may not like what you hear sometimes, but it's really good information over there. Now, I've heard largely what they've heard today. There have been updates they've posted over on the Big Spur throughout the day. Billy Napier was never out of this. Uh, this was never close to done. As far as I was concerned, it was never close to done. But here's what has been reported today. And again, I, I've talked to folks, uh, maybe that they've spoken with, maybe that they haven't spoken with, who back up all this. And by all this, I mean Billy Napier's inter interview, second interview for this job, first in-person interview for this job, is going to come Saturday. Now, they play App State Friday night. So he will be free on Saturday. He's also passed COVID. You know, there was that little pesky detail that, well, he had COVID and he was in quarantine. So those in-person interviews, kind of hard to do when you can't be within a certain radius of any human beings. They know what he wants. He's told them what he needs. And let me revisit a couple of the misnomers out there that I saw just kind of floated around. Sometimes when you hear that South Carolina can't meet so-and-so's demands, what you automatically think is they want to get themselves this much money 
and then the school, in this case, South Carolina, is balking at that. And what that translates to a lot of times is uh, he wants to be paid this and they want to pay him that. Sometimes that's the case. Other times that's not the case. More oftentimes, and I think what the situation here is, is he's wanting a total resource pool, which extends well beyond just how much money is going into his pocket, that maybe hasn't been signed off on yet. And that may mean everything from certain very, very specific facility updates that he wants. And I'm very speculative on that. That's not anything I've heard. But it could be, as an example, that it could be that he wants a certain level of support staff. Maybe he wants 13 guys here and they'll only agree to eight. It's those sorts of very, very fine detail-oriented points that if you can't get them all signed off on, Maybe you're willing to bend. Maybe you're not. Maybe you want a certain guarantee for your assistant coaches. Maybe you want this much money for your defensive coordinator, and they'll only give you that much money. It's that sort of deal. And so there has been no agreement or there's been no slamming of the door anyway. That is what negotiation is all about. Maybe you get yourself in a fortuitous enough position where you can do it in your professional life one day. Well, you only get a few of them even in this profession. I know this is bigger money in all likelihood than you and I get to talk about, but you're still only getting to be in that arena a few times. And like I said the other night, remember what you're going to ask the head coach of South Carolina to do. You're going to hopefully ask him to get you in competition with Georgia or Florida. Maybe not year in, year out, but be competitive. And then every couple of years, we want to be able to strike. And so ask yourself, what kind of resources do you need to do that? When's the last time Kirby Smart got told no on a resource request? When's the last time Dan Mullen got told, no, we don't, we're not really that into it here. Jeremy Pruitt getting told that? No, he's not. And so you're already viewed as being at a somewhat historical disadvantage to those teams. If you're a competitor, you don't care about history, like I said. But if you're a competitor, you're also smart enough to understand, hopefully, I got to have all my yeses. I got to have all my boxes checked or else I'm going to come in here and I'm going to go 500 and look you in the eye and say, what did you expect? You know, that's why I don't think anyone should ever be fired from Vanderbilt. You can look at the zero win column all you want to. I can look at the fact that there are high schools in Texas that have better facilities than they do. And yet you're asking them, hey, uh, got Georgia coming in here Saturday. Like, go get them. And uh, you got Florida a couple of weeks. Tennessee's going to come in here. Got South Carolina later. You know, they dwarf you in resource, but just get some wins anyway. That's ridiculous. Now, we're talking about night and day difference between Carolina and Vanderbilt. But the point is, if I'm a head coach and I'm in demand, a lot of folks value me. I'm going to get yes to every box, or especially if I'm comfortable where I'm at, or I'm not dying to crawl over broken glass to leave. Now, I want to ask this as well, because I've talked to some people, and there's a feeling out there that, oh, we shouldn't pay that much. You know, the hypothetical figures that are being floated out there about what it would take to get Billy Napier to South Carolina. Oh, we can't, we can't go that far. Well, let me ask you something. Where did this sudden fiscal hesitancy come from in Columbia? And I want you to bear in mind what you just committed to, to buy out a coach. You're about to pay a guy darn near a quarter million dollars a month for the next four years to not coach your team. That's Will Muschamp. What is an added couple of million dollars a year at this point? Like, that's what I'm not grasping. And I also want you to understand this. As I told you, I was watching Moneyball the other night, the Oakland A's story. Uh, Friends, that's baseball. No one's moneyballing their way to an SEC championship. No one is cutting corners financially and still getting to Atlanta. You can't do it. This is a different world. College football is a different world. To compete at any kind of elite status, 
you got to pay elite level money. That's just what it's going to be. And if you find yourself having thinking you've struck a deal on the front end, I want to ask you this. Don't think about 2020 or 2021. Think about 2023. I tried to pose this the other night in, in pure hypothetical terms. You know, if it's 2023, okay? The guy you hired's had a couple of years to try and overturn the roster. He's got his thumbprint on the program. It reflects his identity at that point. And it's mid-fourth quarter, and you're playing Georgia, and it's 24 to 23, and you're within one, and you're driving, trying to get in field goal range to hopefully kick a game winner as time expires with a trip to Atlanta on the line. If that is the case, it means you've hired the right guy. And if you've hired the right guy, is anyone sitting around in that stadium with two minutes, 20 seconds left? Two minutes left, 145, 44, 43. You know, George, I know we're about to win this thing or be in really good position too, but man, we overpaid for this guy. I'll tell you, that, that extra $3 million a year that, that this coaching staff's costing us, I mean, I know we're going to beat Georgia here, but is it really worth it? Uh, the next time someone has that conversation will be the first time someone ever has that conversation. If he's the guy, if he is the best for South Carolina, pay him what he wants, give him what he needs resource-wise, and then get out of the way and let him run the program. So, I mean, the, the Shane Beamer talk is every bit as much there now as it was 48 hours ago. I just, I really wonder how this thing's going to go this weekend with the Napier in-person interview. Because, um, you know, I get the perception that Shane Beamer knows how this game works. The game, I mean the hiring game, the, the coaching search game. I'm not knocking him. He's doing what I would do. I get in touch with every contact I have. I get in touch with every person at that university, every former player I have any kind of relationship with, and I grease every wheel I possibly can. Ed Orgeron did it to ultimately get himself hired at LSU. You could easily play your way into landing an SEC or a Power 5 head coaching job by doing that, and that's independent of whether he's qualified or not. I am making no judgment on that. I'm not qualified to make that judgment. Here's what I do think I know, though. I don't know how good Napier is in an interview setting. Like, I don't know how many knee-slapping, anecdotal laughs he'll draw out of you. I think he knows how to win, and I think he knows how to build a program. And it's my humble opinion here in Nashville, Tennessee, removed from the situation, that he probably gives you the best chance to win long-term. So that's what I'm pulling for to see. And having said that, I obviously have really no interest other than just a curious observer. What about Texas? Texas has no job opening right now, and yet there are rumors by the second coming out of Austin about the Texas coaching maybe opening, maybe search. Once upon a time, and this was kind of easy to do back once upon a time, once upon a time when it was coaching search season, all you had to do was pull up flytoware.com, and you had to know the university planes tail number, of course. <laughs> Oops, among us doesn't, and you could watch tail numbers, and you could just track real-time where a plane from Austin, Texas, or Tuscaloosa, or Gainesville, or Auburn was taken off to, and where it was landing, and you know, like back in the day in 09, when you saw a plane leave Auburn, Alabama, and land in Ames, Iowa, well, chances are they're interviewing Gene Chizik. Now, we need a leader, not a loser. The 5 and 19 is not what we need. Yeah, that all resulted because someone had tracked a plane and knew that the Auburn Brain Trust was coming back and they could just go confront them at the airport. Those were fun times. Those were simpler times. Then the FAA got involved and they allowed people to block their tail numbers. And I, I'm all for privacy. But listen, we got a job to do too. And so here's what happens. Instead of hiding in bushes at the airport and just tracking tail numbers like normal people, now you're forced to do what our fine friends out in Austin, Texas found themselves doing over the past 48 hours. If you don't know about this, you're going to think I'm kidding you, but I'm not. These folks 
want Urban Meyer. I don't blame him for that. But these folks took the added 14 steps of seeing Urban Meyer do a live TV hit for someone. I can't even remember what it was about. And someone, somewhere along the way, looked at the hotel room that Urban Meyer was in and said, wait a minute, that looks eerily similar to a hotel that I know near the Austin area. And so let's pull up pictures from Google Image of that hotel, and let's compare them to what Urban's background looks like here. Oh, no, the, the shades look a little bit similar. It's, let's look at the roofing pattern. What about the wallpaper? Well, is this lighting really doing us any favors? That's what was happening yesterday. I'm not kidding with you. Folks thought that they had cracked the nut figuring out Urban Meyer was in Austin because of Google Images compared to a live TV feed of the hotel room he was in. It was a lot easier to just let these people track tail numbers. So thank you. You got what you asked for. This isn't a coaching search right now. I want to remind you of something, a couple of things, actually. Uh, This is not a coaching search, number one, in technical terms, because Texas has a head coach. It's also not a coaching search in more realistic terms, because you're waiting. You're like sitting in a waiting room. Now, if Urban Meyer walks out or walks in, however you want to phrase that, and says, nope, I'm not your guy, then maybe it becomes a coaching search. How long are we going to have to sit here and wait? How long are they going to have to wait before they hear a definitive answer from Urban Meyer? You always hear either this weekend or in the next 48 hours. You will hear that. Those phrases are a dime a dozen in coaching searches. And Really, if you were to ever go back and chart how accurate the next 48 hours or this weekend, by the end of this weekend, if you were to go back and chart how accurate that is, not very often. So I I don't doubt that you'll eventually know something from him soon. But my question is this, and I'm not convinced of this. I've asked some Texas folks. I am not convinced one way or the other. How close is Texas to being on board with making a coaching change regardless of whether it's Urban Meyer? I was over looking at the Horns 24-7 board today, and I think Taylor Estes kind of posed this question, like if it's not Urban Meyer, who will it be? And my question to add on to that is, if it's not Urban Meyer, is it anyone at all? Like, is there still a path where, you know, like Herman wins against Kansas State Saturday and wins against Kansas, games that I don't think should be consequential at all, for the record, but maybe some people do. And if you get a no from Meyer and he ends the season having won the last two games, do they just renew him or let him stay for another year? Like, could that happen? Some of you are adamant. No, like the decision's been made. They're ready to cut the cord regardless. Uh, You know the principle we adhere to on this show. If you're going to make a move, have a definitive upgrade out there. How many, if Texas is of that same mentality, how many names outside of Urban Meyer do they see out there that are realistic to get that they view as definitive upgrades? Some names that you're going to start hearing. Some of them are very interesting. A lot of them you're going to shake your head at as if to say there's no way that's happening. Well, we'll see. I think if it's a no from Urban Meyer, you're going to see them make a serious run at Dan Mullen at Florida. I would always make a run at Brian Kelly. I've said that since the beginning of time. You guys can laugh at it or not. Like I, I think very highly of Brian Kelly. I think he'd knock it out of the park at any major Southern school. He's always felt like a coach that belongs at a Southern outpost. I know this is doing me no favors at Notre Dame. Um, for the record, probably wouldn't say yes. So I'm just saying if I ran one of these programs, I, I admire your guy so much. I would come after him. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Mario Cristobal, is he in the mix there? Is Luke Fickle in the mix? Is that a guy who is looked at as the next star? Or is that a guy who is looked at as the next Tom Herman? 
because, you know, Herman was thought of very highly when he was at Houston. He had fallen off that old Urban Meyer coaching tree, and he had started to knock it out of the park at Houston. Well, hey, if he's going to knock it out of the park in the Lone Star State, let's bring him to Austin and let him do it. If Luke Fickle, if he's going to dominate somewhere, it doesn't need to be Cincinnati. It needs to be Austin, Texas. Do enough people feel that way? Here's the bottom line, though. I still lean towards the fact that there's going to be a coaching change here. I have no clue what Urban Meyer is going to do. Obviously, he needs to be your 1, 1A, and 1B. But all this feeling about Texas being the premier job in college football and therefore we should be able to go get essentially whoever we want to, that's either going to be um, validated definitively or we're going to have a lot of hurt feelings in Austin. Because here's the worst thing that can happen. Worst thing that can happen is you make a move and you think that you've got prime coaching real estate here, which for the record, I believe you do, but not enough people agree with that sentiment that I feel. And maybe the perception of your job in your mind versus the reality of the perception of the Texas job within the coaching world, maybe we find out that there's a large gap between those two feelings. I don't know. Hey, selfishly, I hope Urban Meyer takes the job and we don't have to worry about it. Let's go to the Ramen Noodle Express to wrap it up here on this Thursday evening. We are, as I said, right on 60% against the number this year. It's a phenomenal number. For the record, we've only been at 24-7 a few months, but I've done a version of this show for the last five years. We've landed above 56% with this thing every year over the last five years. So I don't, well, that's a lie. I blast it all over the place, but I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the number that we can put up. So here are the games that we've already moved on this week. And then I've got a couple of new ones for you tonight. And I want to, well, I'll stress it in just a second that we're not done yet. So here are the games that we've moved on already. West Virginia plus seven against Iowa State. There are some COVID concerns with West Virginia. Uh, Felt it out today. It's not anything that would make us back off this game. We like West Virginia plus seven. Washington minus 10. That game has since moved to 11 and a half. We got it early in the week. We thought that line would move if the game's played. Fingers crossed there. I don't think the line's done moving. I think it's going to go up closer to 12 or 13. So we got Huskies minus 10. Oklahoma State is a two-point favorite. Now that one, you can get a more favorable number right now. It's kind of floated around between one and two. So just catch it under a field goal. We feel good there. Oklahoma State minus two. Missouri minus three against Arkansas is the fourth game we've moved on. And a game that we got a bad number on, and I just couldn't care less because I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to that number anyway, Alabama minus 28.5 at LSU. So for those of you listening on podcast, West Virginia plus 7, Washington minus 10, Oklahoma State minus 2, Missouri minus 3, Alabama minus 28.5. And I want to tell you, uh, we are very, very close to moving on Two more games that I'm just waiting on certain things. Sometimes it's information. Sometimes it's a line move. Right now it's both. I am very confident we're not done for the weekend. So we're done with shows for the week. The only way to hear the rest of those picks, uh, however many of them I end up putting out, normally it's like two or three, is follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. At LateKickJosh. Make sure you're following me there. And make sure you have subscribed to this 24-7 Sports YouTube channel if you haven't already. Had a great week of shows. Again, thank you so much for the traction that you've given us. Phenomenal feedback. For director Colin, for producer Jordan on the podcast side of things, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games, and God bless. God bless.